testing one two is this thing recording okay so we're picking up where we left off yesterday we started reading a book by the great jim keith this is a seminal work from the early 90s i want to say 1992 the title of the book is called saucers of the illuminati and it's a very little known kind of fringe work but it it i think it was so ahead of its time so we left off with chapter eight which was about philip k dick and the illuminati and now uh we're on chapter nine this is called the serious connection the freemasons tell a very curious story about the origin of their order and of civilization they believe in a mythology with roots dating back to the time of the Sumerians, that civilization on Earth, not to mention the secret occult doctrine, was established by divine visitors from the star system Sirius, which they symbolically equate with the Egyptian god triunity of Isis, Osiris, and Horus. In the Sumerian mythology, they are explicit in stating that these extraterrestrial visitors, who they term Owains, were fish-like in form. Isis, it may be observed in Egyptian representations, actually wears a fish headdress. The home system of these alien visitors, the star Sirius, was of such significance to the Egyptians that they based their calendar and the alignment of their temples on the star's rising times. Harry Levelson, in an essay titled The Search for Ancient Astronauts, reports the following of the fish-like extraterrestrials. The Owains were described as teachers who gave the people insight into letters, the sciences, and art. Referring to cuneiform and pictographic records compiled several thousand years before his time, the scholar Barossus describes how the Owains taught the people to found temples and codify laws. They taught the principles of geometrical knowledge and everything to humanize mankind, as Belarosus puts it. Now, I want to make an aside here and say that this sounds very similar to the stories we get about the fallen angels, right? How the fallen angels taught man essentially weapon-making, um, how to uh, put apply makeup onto the face, and um, many of the other things that we see going on. So I find that to be sort of an inter interesting connection there. Were these Owains actually fallen angels or demons? Who can say? But it is interesting. Here is the theme of extraterrestrials visiting Earth thousands of years ago. 
civilizing it along with the information that these visitors specifically imparted information on building, quote, the builders, unquote, and geometrics, orientations central to Freemasonic lore and symbolism. We do know that for whatever reason, there was a sudden quantum leap in civilization that took place virtually simultaneously in Sumeria and Egypt. According to Professor W.B. Emery in Archaic Egypt, quote, at a period approximately 3,400 years before Christ, a great change took place in Egypt, and the country passed rapidly from a state of advanced Neolithic culture with a complex tribal character to two well-organized monarchies, one comprising the Delta area and the other the Nile Valley proper. At the same time, the art of writing appears. Monumental architecture and the arts and crafts develop to an astonishing degree. And all the evidence points to the existence of a well-organized and even luxurious civilization. All this was achieved within a comparatively short period of time, for there appears to be little or no background to these fundamental developments in writing and architecture." Unquote. And the reason for this remarkable increase in human knowledge is known to us, although not admitted. Although the truth has not filtered into the hallowed halls of the six o'clock news, it is not in question as to whether mankind has come into contact with an extraterrestrial culture. We have. There is complete confirmation of the legend of the Oanes, which has been obtained in the 20th century. Proof of that contact resides in the secret cosmological tradition of the Dogon tribe in Africa. The traditions of the Dogon have been transmitted in oral fashion for centuries and may in fact comprise the most pure offshoot of the secret tradition that underpins the religious beliefs of diverse religions and secret societies, including the Illuminati. Their tradition clarifies the secret agenda of the major occult and religious traditions of this planet. And that pure transmission from the Dogon speaks of, verifies, and conclusively proves extraterrestrial contact. The secret tradition of the Dogon is centered upon the star Sirius, but more significantly, upon its smaller companion, Sirius B. The problem is that Sirius B is totally invisible to the naked eye and was only discovered through the use of a powerful telescope in the 20th century. It might have only been a lucky guess that the Dogon attributed an orbiting companion to Sirius. If only they hadn't made so many more lucky guesses that prove their scientific knowledge of the star system. For example, they know that Saturn has a ring around it, although it is impossible to determine this fact without the aid of a telescope. They are aware that the planets in this solar system orbit around the sun. 
and that the solar system is contained in the Milky Way. The Dogon say that Earth's moon is dry and dead, like dry, dead blood. They are aware of four moons of Jupiter. They know that the Earth turns on its axis. They also know, most significantly, that the orbital period of Sirius B around Sirius A is 50 years. Again, a fact impossible to determine without a modern telescope. Where did they obtain this information? They say that they were taught it by intelligent amphibious beings called the Nomo, the term used in both a singular and plural form who came from Sirius thousands of years ago in a circular spinning arc. Their tradition is a precise correlation with the Sumerian tradition of the Oanes. The Dogon call the Nomo, quote, the shapers of the world, unquote. Note the similarity to Philip K. Dick's concept of the builders. The Dogon have a number of interesting things to say about Sirius and the Nomo. During Dogon ceremonies, the Sirius system is portrayed, listen to this, on a checkered blanket, recalling the tessellated or checkerboard pattern that the Freemasons favor in their floors. Is this a reference to Sirius? The Bozo tribe, cousins to the Dogon, call Sirius the Eye Star, a concept hearkening to the eye in the triangle and to the Egyptian glyph for Isis's consort, Osiris. It is noteworthy that the Bozos say that Sirius A is seated, quote-unquote. Isis is depicted in Egyptian hieroglyphics with a symbol of a seat or a throne. Remarkably, there is another religious tradition on which the lore of the Dogon may cast a penetrating light. The Dogon refer to mankind as Ogo, the imperfect, the outcast. They say that the Ogo were rebellious and were unfinished as a creation. In order to make up for the rebellious, sinful nature of the Ogo, one of the Nomo named Onomo uh, or Nomo of the Pond, was sacrificially crucified on a tree to atone for our imperfect nature, died, and will return in an ark with the ancestors of men. According to Robert K.G. Temple in The Serious Mystery, quote, the name Nomo comes from a Dogon word linked to the root Nomo, to make one drink. It is said the Nomo divided his body among men to feed them. That is why it is also said that as the universe had drunk of his body, the Nomo also made men drink. He also gave all of his life principles to human beings. He was crucified on a Kalena tree, which also died and was resurrected. Hmm... The helical rising of Sirius was key in Egyptian as well as Dogon religious ceremonies. The Dogon also portrayed the helical rising of Sirius as a cross with a flower-like sun at its center, an image very reminiscent of the flowering cross of the Rosicrucians and their successor groups like the Freemasons and the Ordo Templi Orientis. 
It may be speculated that the fish symbol of the secret society that Philip K. Dick felt had contacted him may have derived from the Owains slash Nomo connection. The fish symbol stood on its head also portrays a representation of the fertility cult of Isis, and it is even possible that the Christian fish symbol is similarly derived, since it may be argued that Christianity is, at core, a mystery religion of Osiris sun god worship, transmogrified by claims of an historical uniqueness that it specifically does not possess. As Aleister Crowley wrote in the Book of Thoth, quote, In this card, death, a tarot card, the symbol of the fish is paramount. The fish, il pesi, as they call him in Naples and many other places, and the serpent, symbolizing the Messiah, are the two principal objects of worship in cults which taught the doctrines of resurrection or reincarnation. Thus we have Owains and Dagon, fish gods in Western Asia, in many other parts of the world are similar cults. Even in Christianity, Christ was represented as a fish. The Greek word I-X-T-H-U-S, which means fish and very aptly symbolizes Christ, as Browning reminds one, was supposed to be a nocheron, the initials of the sentence meaning Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior. Nor is it an accident that St. Peter was a fisherman, the Gospels, too, are full of miracles involving fish, and the fish is sacred to Mercury because of its cold-bloodedness, its swiftness, and its brilliance. There is, moreover, the sexual symbolism, unquote. Michael A. Hoffman II in Secret Societies and Psychological Warfare observes the following of the star Sirius, that it is regarded in the highest occult circles as analogous to the hidden god of the cosmos. The emblem of the all-seeing eye above the unfinished pyramid is the representation of the eye of Sirius, of its omniscient surveillance. An investigation of the beliefs of Freemasonry and, incidentally, of the other major religions, both exo- and esoteric, on this planet shows that this charitable fraternity is merely an updated version of ages-old and archetypal Osiris-slash-Isis sun-god-slash-mother-goddess programming. This form of worship can be traced back to the literal beginning of recorded history, its mythology anciently crystallizing into the Isis-Osiris-Sun-Moon cultus of the Egyptian priesthood. Osiris, it so happens, was one more divine visitor who is claimed to have civilized the backward and mud-rutting people of the earth with his special teachings. From Egypt, the deities of the Sun Pantheon may have taken on different names, including Ra, Odin, Jehovah, and Jesus, with feminine counterparts including Diana, Mary, Ishtar, Rhea, Astarte, Sibel, and Ma. But the mode of worship and populist control was essentially the same. The adepts of the sun-moon programming, of which Freemasonry is a major surviving branch, have always called themselves variations on the term the Illuminati, the origin of the phrase betraying its source. 
the Illuminati, Illumination, the adepts of the sun god and his consort. When I state this derivation of the term, there are no doubt many who will think I am distorting and oversimplifying this religio-occult progression, but I am not. A quick and cursory sketch of the main branches of the Illuminati might go something like this, although I admit that others offer a family tree somewhat different in its branchings. This is a secret society. Remember, and what we know of the Illuminati has been obtained by accident. As when lightning struck down a member of the Bavarian Illuminati in the late 1700s, providing us with a cache of inner circle documents or has been eked out through conjecture, inference, and interpretation of their double-talk code language. In Isis, Osiris, veneration, we can see the beginnings of the ritual trappings of the mystery religions that were to follow. One reason that the Greek and Roman mystery religions are religious is that little is known of what actually took place in their rites. Celebrated primarily at night and in caves, we do know that mystery religions were the source of many of the practices that were taken up by later secret societies, including the Freemasons, and that they partook practices varying somewhat from one mystery group to the next of secret ritual initiation involving dramatizations of the lives of the gods, the imbibing of psychedelic drugs such as magic mushrooms, sex orgies with an emphasis on homosexuality, and at least, in some instances, human sacrifice. The symbology of light, quote-unquote, pervades the mystery religions, adepts having been said to have seen the light, had their eyes opened, and so forth, all very appropriate to celebrants who enacted their rites in the dead of the night in caves. Light equals illumination equals illuminati. From the mystery religions which were extremely influential upon the tenets of Christianity came the philosophies of the Gnostics, composed of a number of secretive European sects, the most prominent perhaps being the highly secretive, perhaps even fictional, Priory of Sion. Again, we know very little of what actual practices the early Gnostics were, but we do know that the sun god, mother goddess orientation had in certain cases taken on a more philosophical bent, dealing with the eternal cosmic war between darkness and light. Again, the motif of illumination is represented. A recent translation of a document of the Cathars, perhaps the most prominent of the Gnostic groups, suggests that one of their secrets was that they were a straightforward Isis cult. The Jewish-slash-Gnostic mystical practice of the Kabbalah, whose origin may have been about the time of Jesus or shortly after, 
was a primary influence on a number of secret society tributaries, including the Rosicrucians and the Knights Templar. Kabbalism was also the singular greatest philosophical influence on the Freemasons, which in the mid-1700s evolved a return to an overt sun-god-mother-goddess mythology along with an emphasis in their practices on the importance of the star Sirius. Freemasonry, from being an essentially Gnostic religion, has comprised, since its inception, a vastly important influence in world politics and in world intelligence agencies, and may be the most active and far-reaching of the Illuminati fronts at the present time. Freemasonry and the Rothschilds International Banking Group, the Rothschilds being from the beginning of their dynasty, Freemasons, were the main influence on Diamond Magnet and Freemason Cecil Rhodes Roundtable Secret Society, formed around the turn of this century. Rhodes was the single most important Freemasonic spearhead into the world political control. Currently, we may note the Trilateral Commission with their symbolic 666 triangular emblem and orientation, the Council on Foreign Relations, and the Bilderberg Society as being among the most influential organization on this planet. These sprung from the Roundtable Group. While I am limited in space in this thumbnail sketch, it is very possible to trace the twistings and turnings of the Illuminist philosophy until we encounter the secret Freemasonic rituals of the elitist leaders of today, men like George Bush of the Skull and Bones German Illuminist offshoot, Henry Kissinger and Alexander Haig, alleged to be members of the Freemasonic P2 group, and, in all probability, the Cecil Rhodes Scholar, triat-lateralist, and saxophone player from Little Rock, Arkansas, the highly symbolic Masonic location where the arch-Mason Albert Pike formulated his schemes. Why were the sun and moon chosen by the Illuminati of ancient history as deities for the worship of their slaves and underlings? My guess is that it is a relatively arbitrary choice that reflects solar-lunar influence in a simple, understandable fashion, particularly as it might be understood in an agrarian society, where these astral bodies are the obvious and all-important influences in a people's day-to-day -day life. If the sun doesn't shed its beneficent rays on the earth, then the crops didn't grow. There's an additional associative quality of the sun god slash mother goddess programming that pertains to the human mother and father and accesses our unexamined and authoritarian inlaid childhood programming, digging into deeply ingrained programming, much in the same way that beer commercials on television access a different, different level of instructionally, instinctually, by being larded with sexual imagery. As the cult of the sun god and his consort first evolved, the Illuminati made it well known that they were the chosen representatives of these immortal deities. And did the people really want to take a chance on not believing what they told them? The masses had better treat the Illuminati real nice, 
or they might have a word with the sun god and his consort and have them have them punished with a plague of frogs in the beginning quote unquote the sun god and moon goddess were in absolute control working in mysterious and usually sadistic ways that were only fully decipherable to their illumined envoys a lot of people fell for this stuff, and they were probably given little tin badges that clearly identified them to the holdout heretics, whom in turn they tortured and murdered in order to assist them to see the light. In time, say about the time of the Chaldeans, the Illuminati started to believe some of their own programming and began to study the movement of the sun and moon and their brother and sister stars and planets. This gave the Illuminati another leg up via astronomy and being able to predict coming occurrences like eclipses and comets. By the time astrology was formulated, the Illuminati had it all pretty well sewn up with franchises in operation all over the planet. Science began in a similar fashion as astrology. <gasps> Gasp! But the dominant belief modes in humanity have always been given names like science, which simply means knowing. During the 16th century, when the noble Illuminati popularized this latest version of quote-unquote knowing, they had lots of free time to dabble in astrology and alchemy, the forerunner of modern chemistry, and for a change of pace to participate in sex orgies in groups with names like the Hellfire Club. Since the sun god and his various relations, including sons and wives, were after several thousand years of worship, beginning to fray around the edges in terms of believability, and a lot of commoners were beginning to grumble that this stuff was all made up. The Illuminati came up with a new and improved version of their mind control software that didn't depend on the sun god or moon goddess for ultimate authority. As the sun-moon cult lost some of its popularity, scientists, quote-unquote, were quick to take up the slack. According to their propaganda, the physical laws of the universe were the ultimate causative factors, and naturally, those physical laws were only fathomable by the scientific, i.e. Illuminati, illuminated elite. Now the Illuminati restored their waning dominance, with their promotion of the arcane wisdom of Bunsen burners, stupefying mesmerism, and electricity, and they no longer, at least at the present time, needed to draw their powers from mystical associations of the stars and planets. Their vision of the universe and society as fostered by members of the British Royal Society and other Illuminati-conceived groups became the predominant worldview. The main tenet of their new religion, science, was that whether you understood it or not, it was always right. Not so different a creed than the programs that preceded it. The British Royal Society of the late 17th century was the forerunner of much of the media manipulation that was to follow. After the retooling into scientific values was accomplished by the Illuminist Masters Society, in the view of the Illuminati, 
needed to be conditioned for stability in a capitalist and non-religious format. The cogwheels had been greased. This was accomplished by the launching of non-religious pro-scientific attitudes through the same media vehicles that influence us today. Newspapers and books, with radio, motion pictures, and television soon to follow. And heretics against either science or religion have always been dealt with in summary fashion, sometimes possibly in dark blue vans by CIA technicians dressed to look like space aliens. Now we are in an era which we arbitrarily term modern, but which seems to have no claim to that appellation whose religion is a hybrid of both science and mysticism. This is the religion of the UFO and the New Age movement. It is a religion that performs the functions of all religion. It induces awe and susceptibility and confusion and guilt and re-stimulation of infantilism and opens up the believer to intervention by the priesthood. Attempting to crack the secret of the nature of this elusive beast, the UFO. Isn't it odd that the U.S. military just happened to be working on this craft back in the 1950s when the whole UFO flap started? Isn't it odd that the mind control implants that are supposed to be inserted through the nostrils of UFO abductees just happened to conform exactly to the implants designed by Dr. Jose Delgado, the CIA mind control researcher? Isn't it odd that several of the most prominent among UFO researchers have been members of military intelligence, men such as John Lear, formerly, quote-unquote, of the CIA? And isn't it the oddest thing that all that the intelligence agencies of all countries crawl with Freemasons and that the CIA just happens to have a reported fashion of mother goddess cultism within its ranks? Attempting to get a grip on this topic, why would UFO testing be done relatively out in the open on military reservations that can be easily observed by a public notified of UFO flights by former CIA men eager to spread the truth about the little gray men? Are the military authorities teasing us, as it were, with this open testing, along with all the other revelations? Other revelations of the secret order that underlies the normalized facade of our society and media. When George Bush spoke repeatedly of the new world order, is it likely that he would have simply forgotten the thousands of right-wingers and conspiracy buffs who, for years, have used that phrase as the personification of world fascism, evil, and mind control? Or was something else going on? Some other process or directed transformation? When CBS broadcast an eye in a triangle in their station identification, could it possibly have been done by accident? Does this not hearken to the can't language, that's spelled C-A-N-T, the mystical double talk employed by Freemasons and other secret societies? 
Michael Hoffman II has uh, spoken about similar processes involving, quote, revelation of the method, unquote, or the purposeful giving away of arcane secrets of Freemasonry, which he dubs the cryptocracy. He likens this to the activities of the alchemists, quote, this is what simplistic researchers miss. The function of macabre arrogance, thumbing its nose at us while we do nothing except spread the tale of their immunity and invincibility further. This is the game plan operant here. To the belief system of the modern man, it sounds too crazy. Why would the perpetrators want their secrets revealed after the fact? This question can only be definitively answered if one has an understanding of the zeitgeist which overseers in the cryptocracy have partly manufactured and partly tailored their own operations to coincide with. As I've pointed out, secrets like this were rarely revealed in the past because traditional people had not yet completed the alchemical processing of mind control. To make such perverse modern revelations to an unprocessed, healthy, and vigorous population possessed of will, memory, adherence to their deepest inner intuition, and intense interest in their own salvation— would not have been a good thing for the cryptocracy. In fact, it would have proven fatal to them. But to reveal these after-the-act secrets in our modern time to a people who have no memory, no willpower, and no interest in their own fate, except insofar as it may serve as momentary titillation and entertainment, actually strengthens the enslavement of such a people. There is an occult-slash-free-masonic stratum in the command structure of the media and world control. There is a long-term occult agenda in geopolitics that is just now coming to poisonous fruition. That's the end of chapter nine, and um, obviously I shouldn't have to state this, but um, not necessarily agreeing with or condoning every single little thing uh, or idea Jim Keith had, but it's the overall work itself. There's a lot of very good stuff in here that I think is very important. Now, the next chapter, chapter 10 is very interesting. It's called Demons and Adepts, and this gets into the occult and the demonic, and that is what we'll cover in the next one.